Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I am Jamie Wagner. I know that's a strange way to welcome you all because John Shirky, my co-host, is usually the one doing all that fun stuff. Today, I have a different John that is joining me, John Peter, multiple time guest on the podcast. He actually brought my attention to today's guest and John Shirky is not available this week. He's, he's out doing other things. Um, and we thought what a cool opportunity to bring in somebody that we care about that has grown us, pushed us, challenged us to join the process and co-host with us. John Peter, it's good to see you, man. Yeah, man. I, uh, you know, we don't have the YouTube videos, but but I, I got the eyes up hat on and I'm trying to play the part of a, of a tiny John Shirky today. Yeah, there is a there is a general size difference. John Shirky, 6'6", you know, uh, tight end in, in football. You were a runner in college, so I don't like there's there's just a different body type staring across from me. But um, as as most of you know that have been here for a little bit, like JP and I have have become pretty good friends and, and we just uh we share a lot in terms of what we're reading, what we're listening to, what, what's coming across our plate as things that are growing us. And, and when I knew that, uh, John wasn't going to be available to join us, I said, Hey man, um, who's good, <laughs> who's good. that can pour into us. And Jake, JP, you gave me a list of guys and I'm so grateful we got to connect with, with Brad strand. Tell me a little bit about Brad and your experience with him. Yeah, so Brad was my head basketball coach uh, in Pelican Rapids. Uh, he was the basketball coach in, in Gary, Minnesota, which eventually became Norman County East. Um, and within two years of him leaving and building that program, they won the state championship um, with our current head basketball coach, John Gullingsrud, as the point guard on that team. Um, and then Brad came here, took over for uh, a coach, who uh, Rex Haugen, who was a Hall of Fame coach, who had been here for 30 years and, you know, Brad got to kind of try and build a program in a basketball rabid town that wasn't necessarily always patient. Um, but he was here for quite a while. Uh, won a state, he had three trips to the state tournament while he was here and he won a state championship in 09. Um, and I got to kind of be a, a fly on the wall, um, as I was part of a, a filming a documentary following that team, um, that you can find on YouTube. Uh, called Kazen um, and it just goes through the season and then he moved on to Fergus Falls uh, a few years later and has been there until this past year when he became the superintendent at the Breckenridge School Breckenridge Cowboys a rival school to Pelican Rapids so um, but really influential person in my life even though I was terrible at basketball um, <laughs> and and didn't play hardly at all my senior year uh, but he was really, his coaching was really impactful and very influential on what I do today, especially as a soccer coach. Yeah. And, and I think the thing that, you know, we say it all the time is like, there's so much in here that is not about sport. Yeah. We're talking about sports. We're talking about basketball. We're talking about soccer. We're talking about the things that we know and are passionate about. But when you apply those things outside of that arena, it's still valuable. It's going to take time. Right? No matter what you do, no matter what you invest in, no matter what thing you're rebuilding in life that we get into and we talk about, it's going to take a little bit of time. Right? So 
use your energy, use your time wisely. And, you know, it grows us. Each one of these conversations grows us in different ways. And, and it's so cool to continue to have new people kind of come into this world, this eyes up family and give awesome stuff that challenges us, makes us think a little bit differently and help. Hopefully we can like you take some of Brad's wisdom and put it into what we do on a day-to-day basis. Brad Strand. All right, Brad Strand, superintendent currently at Breckenridge High School, former still. Are you still coaching? I am not coaching. First time in 32 years I've not been on the sideline. How's that transition been? You know, I miss it. I miss working with kids, whether it's uh, in a calculus classroom or whether it's uh, teaching the game of basketball. Um, I just miss working with kids. Yeah. Yeah. How is that different than, than your current gig in terms of working with adults? What, what about it is more fulfilling, less fulfilling? I don't know. Yeah. You know what? There's drama. <laughs> There's <laughs> drama with kids sometimes and no, not really, but adult drama and, you know, just things, you know, it's just a different, uh, different field, different area, uh, more HR kinds of things and, you know, bigger, bigger picture things. Um, but not unlike running a basketball program, I guess you just, uh, you know, you put out your team and you get a game plan together and have some strategy, a strategic plan on what direction we're going, but being brand new, it's not like you just come in and change everything either. You kind of got to get a feel for what's going on and what's working and what can we make some, where can we make some improvements uh, down the road? Some people might say the best time to change it is in that first, first little bit. Cause you, you haven't gained anything, but, um, or broken any relationships or anything. Hey, if you're going to have them, like, why not blow it up doing something you want to be doing, but I'm not well, we going to encourage you to do that. I uh, know we are moving to Gmail though. We are moving <laughs> to the Google platform. So that's a, that's a little bit of a stretch. So by the end of this year, we will not be using outlook. We've had some problems. So we're going to be a Google school. That's awesome. So, little bit, uh, little changes. So cool thing about this conversation is, is you were a coach of John. Which is which is kind of crazy to think about, um, JP. How was that experience for you? What uh, what did you take from him? I think is probably my my first question for you, and then I'll let you kind of ask some questions to Brad here. But I think we all take something from the people that kind of poured into us. What what are some big takeaways that you thought were useful from from your experience with him? Yeah, immediately when I was you know fresh out of high school and on my own, I took a lot of the organizational skills I learned just in playing for coach. Um, you know, that was always really expected of us and just the way that we approached a, a day or a practice or, or a game, there was a lot of intentionality um, that has continued. And then when I really saw his influence was when I became a soccer coach and I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I know that basketball is pretty close in a lot of ways to soccer. And so all of a sudden I, I really gravitated towards a lot of the things that he did, um, how a practice was structured, why it was structured the way it was. Um, and then, you know, the influence of his main assistant Blaine Risfit weighed heavily into a lot of even how we teach defense and those kinds of things. And so, um, and then just the opportunity, you know, coach was still here for a few years when I was teaching. And so um, I would go in and have the opportunity to 
to watch them. Um, and then some people may know I, the first documentary I did, it wasn't actually about soccer. It was following the 2009 basketball team. Um, and he let me kind of come in and be a fly on the wall. And so I got to really see the process of what a postseason looks like and how he approached that um, and how you talk to your team in certain situations. Um, and so then as, as I became a soccer coach, I made a point of, I'm going to go observe other coaches and you can't do that during the soccer season. It's too busy. And so again, like what's the closest thing to soccer, it's basketball. So um, I made a point to start going and, and watching other coaches do their thing, not for X's and O's, just like, how do you run a practice differently than me? How do you talk to your kids differently than me? How do you work with whatever? And the, the big thing that I, it's why I told you, we need to have Brad on and we can talk to him is because the, the one thing I always wrote down was how much you empowered your assistants. Um, Brad, and, and it was super evident when, when I, you were here and you had Blaine wrist fit, who you could just kind of cut him loose on defense for an hour or cut GJ Schmid loose for an, half an hour on something, especially when it came to scouting and game prep. But then I went and observed him coaching in Fergus and I saw this like even more extreme where we're, he and I just talked for like 45 minutes of the practice. And I'm like, don't, he's like, no, they got it. They're, they're doing what I expect. So Talk us through that coach, because I think that's something that all of us as coaches struggle with is how do we empower our assistants to, to do their job and how do we trust them to do their job? Cause we're all micromanagers at the core. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I wasn't always there, you know, in 31 years, we evolve as coaches. We go to coaches clinics. We do what you do, JP, you go out and you, you watch people, you talk to people. And um, there was a time that I tried to do everything and uh, micromanage things. And, um, I, I just think kids hear the same voice over and over. Plus, I just believe deeply that if you want your coaches to buy in on your staff, they have to have a voice and they have to have a voice that means something, not just, uh, just, not just a voice in the, in the coach's office where you just let them rant. No, you get a voice with the athletes. And, um, and I, it, I just thought it was such a great time for me. If you use Blaine as an example, um, when I went to Fergus, I kind of had to work in an assistant and then Josh Deere, I, I really feel um, like a chance to groom a coach. And he's now the head coach the, the first year. He's got a great team, um, but gave him some defense. And when I first came, he was, uh, I would say, a low level freshman coach, assistant even to the freshman. And we moved him up through the ranks. Um, but it allowed me as a coach, as a head coach, to go work with our ninth grade players. Um, and maybe, I, you know, I kind of like offense. There's no secret about that. Uh, we preach defense, right? But I like teaching offense. And so I'll go work with, with our younger kids while I give the older players, the varsity players, you know, here's a different voice. And I think in half times, um, I think in timeouts, I think it's so important. Um, now, with that being said, in a timeout, you get 45 seconds. Maybe we tap for 15 on the side. We can't have too many voices in that huddle at that time. And ultimately, we have to make that decision. Are we playing, are we going to go 13? Are we going to do a little 1-3-1? One, one? Um, are we going man? Um, and sometimes we would disagree, but because of the relationship that I had with my coaches, um, we can disagree. Um, but when we get out in public, we're going to agree. And I think that's important as well. Um, we'll have the disagreements in private and talk through some things. And uh, so I've been blessed. I've been blessed with some tremendous uh, coaches that, I'd be foolish not to use their wisdom. You know what I mean? Like they've got so much wisdom. Um, and just like even with younger kids, I don't expect my ninth grade or B squad coach to run the same out of bounds plays as me. I want you, this is your chance to have some freedom. What do you want to do? 
and, and you've got a different group of athletes than what I have. What's going to work with your group? Um, because we're teaching fundamentals. We're not trying to teach certain robotic plays. Um, and uh, so I just think um, I've been blessed with some great young coaches and, uh, and they've bought into helping me. And then I've bought into letting them have their voice. Well, so I you, think that's you. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead, JP. You're good. You talk about Josh Steer. He's now in charge at Fergus. But when you talk about you're developing this coach, like what do those conversations look like when you cut them free? It doesn't go. I mean, you're trying to coach them essentially, right? Like how, yeah. how, for you, how did those conversations look? Because I think a lot of coaches here, well, I got to kind of coach my assistants and they say, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, one thing that I, that I had to grow in, you know, we all have areas of growth. And I think sometimes I might step in and say something with Josh coaching the defense. And I might have stepped in and said something in front of the players. And I had to back off like, Ooh, I gotta be careful there. We'll talk, but I don't want to like overstep my grounds with the respect that the players already have for him. And then it looks like I'm changing. I, I'm just teaching it differently. So I, instead, you know what, we got to talk separately. Let's just do this on the side so that, uh, the credibility stays high in, in the player's minds with the, with the coach. And, you know, did I have to grow in that area? Did I find sometimes I would make mistakes? You bet. And, uh, but hopefully we get better. You know, we want our players to get better 1% every day. We as coaches, how can I get better every day? How can I find a way to get better? I think that's so interesting because JP asked the exact question I was going to ask. I talked to a ton of coaches. They're just like, okay, I have an idea what it's supposed to look like. And you said it like we're teaching skills, not, plays we're teaching fundamentals not schemes in some ways like i think that's such a, a huge piece of advice for those listening out there okay i want to do it a certain way but i it doesn't have to be in the box that i bring it in you know like i i need to empower the people around me to bring it in their box because otherwise i'm just stepping all over it and they have no authority they have no you know look from the kids to say, I trust you, right? It's, they look at him and then they're checking over their shoulder to you to make sure, is that right? Are are we good? Can I do this thing? Even though he said it and you didn't. So how do we build that relationship with those people? Because this is a relationship business. It's not just relationship us to the kids. How do we build those relationships and onboard new staff? How do we bring those people in and say, okay, this is what I love. This is what I want to do. But what do you have to bring? Is it just simple conversation or is it more than that? You know, I think uh, one area where I think I was lucky is I like to scout and uh, I scouted a lot. And then when I scouted, we had to drive places and I would oftentimes take one of my daughters with, or, you know what, let's take assistant coaches with depending in windshield time, um, whether we're driving to the cities for a coach's clinic or we're driving to Perm to watch the yellow jackets or driving to Barnesville to watch the Trojans. Um, or Alexandria watch Cardinals, right? I think that windshield time and even just sitting in the stands with an assistant coach, you can have a lot of um, really deep conversations without it being formal, but it's, it's an, in, in an informal setting. Um, and I want to, you know, we talk about relationships. I think that assistant coach, I want them to have a different relationship with the players than what I have. Sometimes I have to be the heavy. I don't want my assistant. I want them to be very approachable. I want kids to feel um, comfort. I mean, I want to be approachable too, as a head coach, but there are some times that maybe um, it just, they don't, they don't always feel that way, but that assistant coach and whether it's in practice, if they don't understand something, the head coach says, and the head coach barks a little bit, 
um, they can get off to the side and grab that assistant and the assistant might re-explain it in a different way that, oh, now it clicks. Um, so I think it's really important that they have those relationships and, but it starts at the top. If we have the right relationship, I think yeah. um, we're in a, hey, education's all about relationships, all about it. And you got to model it, right? I mean, you have to model the behavior you're looking for from the beginning. So if you, if you don't have, you know, I've been part of staffs where it's a little icy between the coaches because one coach has an idea, other coach doesn't buy in, whatever it might be. And, and you bring it to practice and it's just, it's toxic in some ways. I love that you said scouting. My, my most formative learning as a football coach was in the film room, right? With like, as a athlete with a coach, right? As a senior athlete in college, I sat down and watched film with a coach over and I heard his terminology. I heard his language. I heard the way that he was thinking. And I was like, uh, and then I coached with them later. And I was like, okay, I have a sense of what you guys are about because I, I went through this process with you. I think that's an amazing, amazing place to gain some of that. And then like I, windshield time, I, those are just so tangible things like that. I don't think we always <laughs> like, we don't do them or make them intentional. And JP said, you have a lot of intent in everything that you do as a coach. And I think that's a, it's a great piece of advice. How do yeah, you, that was my one word last year, John Gordon. I'm a one word kind of guy. This year it's trust. Last year was intentional, yeah. you know, and have intentional conversations and be intentional with how we're um, approaching practice, how we're approaching games. But now with COVID, everybody scouts online. So I'd have to, I'd have to teach myself. Heck, I got three computers every night. I'm watching, I've watched more basketball this year than ever. And that's why I think <laughs> I miss it a little bit. But I, I personally, the other part about coach or scouting in person is I like, I like reading body language and just seeing things that you don't always get to see on the camera. Yeah. Can't always hit pause and rewind though and watch that out of bounds plays. <laughs> so you talked a little bit about your relationship with your coaches. Um, you, you talked about, kind of how you would relate to some of the players depending on the situation. And that's one thing that as I kind of preparing for this, I'd reached out to a couple of former players and, and, you know, Matt Haugen always very succinct in what he says. He just said um, that you were great at individualizing how to treat players and that you, you always knew. And his example, he said, Ty was, this is Ty Storson was handled differently than Tyler Larson, not better or worse just different because they were different people and they had different roles in the team. And I know that's something that comes out too in the documentary a little bit um, that you, you know, you said specifically, like I knew this player could handle being talked to like this and I knew somebody else couldn't. And so like how, and that's not just from that team. A lot of people mentioned that you were very good at individualizing how you talk to people. Like, was that something you had to work on a lot or why is that important to you? You know, I think a generalization um, is I would like to make sure I have two, two positives for every one negative in practice, two positive for one negative. Um, so if I'm correcting somebody, I want to make sure I tell them twice, you know, what they did well. Right. Um, and, and I think when you talk about individualizing, you know, Ty, um, he might get one to one because he already gets enough accolades. Like, you know what, the newspaper, the, 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 the media, the WDY, he's going to get coverage. He's going to get recognition. Um, Ty Larson, I um, uh, just bring, loves bringing up some of these names. He's a big time accountant now in the cities handling tax. Yeah, he didn't get as many minutes. Well, you know what? I'm going to let him know every time he does something great. And he doesn't need to know if he makes a mistake. Um, and 
and Matt Hogan, unless Dr. Matt Hogan, right? Yeah. Uh, he, he, he's going to go as hard as they, as they come and never, ever a lack of effort. You don't ever question him. And he's very obviously a deep thinker in how we are going to approach the game. Um, and I think that is important because there are times, you know, when I've been upset, my youngest daughter played for me and she, we, we joke about it now. Um, but whether it was Ty or Kate, when they would have a turnover and I would like our team had a turnover and I would rip them. They're both point guards, get the ball in, you know, or whatever it might be when really maybe the player on the wing wasn't getting open, had nothing to do with the point guard. Well, I didn't really need to yell at that other person because their confidence might already be a little shaky. And kids like Ty, kid like my daughter, Kate, they kind of get it. Like, yeah, okay. I know, I know where, how you're approaching what you're doing right now. I'll take the heat. And um, basically I'll let it bounce off my back. Like I didn't hear you, but I'll look at you and nod my head and just take that pressure off the other players. And, and then, you know, that documentary that you talk about, by the way, that was, that's a memory. That's a keepsake. Like you would never believe um, what you created there, JP. Um, the people that have watched that uh, it's, it's incredible. Uh, and I've shown it to so many teams. Um, we can talk about that later, but it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> well, well, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in on that. Cause I, I, I got to watch it. JP shared it with me in, in the last couple of days. And, and one of the things that you just said that I think is so meaningful and is necessary for coaches to potentially hear again. And then I'll ask a question on it is like, you knew that they had the confidence to withstand some of the challenge, right? The hard coaching, I'm going to coach these kids hard. And some of these other kids might not have the confidence in their skills. So you're trying to build up that comp. What does it take to understand that, right? About your kids? Like, how do you get to that level where you say, and like part of the thing in the documentary is you had 12 seniors kids that have been there two, three, four, five, seven years in the program doing it since little on in the same community. Like it's, it's not that hard to get to know them. You go to Fergus, a little different animal because the small town relationship and Fergus is still a small town, but you get what I'm saying? Like it's a bigger school. You have less opportunity to connect. You haven't been there as long. How do you get there quickly? I guess is, is my question. Yep. Yep. Um, You put in time. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely. You put in time and you put in time in the off season. Um, you're opening the gym, you know, at seven in the morning, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're spending time with kids. You're going to tournaments again, when you go to tournaments, more than likely you got some windshield time or you got some apple eating time. When you got two hours in between games, you're building relationships and you're figuring out what makes them click and tick. Um, I was also fortunate enough to be a teacher and now you get them in a different setting and you get them in a classroom and they get to see you in a different setting. Um, but you really, as a coach, you got to take the time to get to know your kids. And you also got to know more than just basketball. You got to get to know their life. You know, what, what makes them tick because they are, they're a person, right? And um, some kids, yep, you, you, it doesn't take too long to figure out. You can coach them a little bit harder. And then there's others, you know, maybe that aren't getting as many minutes they don't need to get yelled at. They don't need to, they made a mistake. They already know they made the mistake. And really all kids do, right? You don't have to yell at them and say, well, why did you travel? Oh, coach, I tried to travel. No, they didn't try to travel. They didn't try to throw that bad pass. Um, and I think so having, you know, we like to run. We like to run. And sometimes that ball hit the end line, hit the wall, didn't it, JP, early in, early in the year. You can't get mad if that's what you want you, because that, you got to let them take some risks and find out where that, where their bar is at. And, um, doesn't take long. And by March, now all of a sudden you're going to be making some unbelievable plays on a big stage that you wouldn't have made if you didn't give them some freedom and not pull in the reins too tight. 
you find that to be easier with athletics? Like I just think about leadership in general because of the carrot of competition, because of the carrot of the joy of sport, because we've been doing this since we're kids, whatever it is, you find it easier to connect because that's the unifier than it is yeah. with potentially teachers that have really disparate interests, disparate yeah. thought, like, no, yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, sport is a common connection, but I'll tell you what, I learned about frogging in Louisiana from a kid that was in a, I'll be honest, a lower level math class that I was teaching, you know, you get calculus and you also get basic math 10. And I'd never heard of anybody that goes down and you catch frogs in Louisiana and you actually eat them, bullfrogs. And so we, we, we find out what makes kids tick, you know, maybe it's snowmobiling out in Idaho in the mountains. Um, they're not all playing football. They're not all playing basketball. They're not all playing soccer. Um, but if they are, even if, okay, as a teacher, as a leader, um, I want to be able to connect with that wrestler just as much as that hockey player. And luckily, like we have Craig Olson sports, you know, I can check, I can check area kids and I can find out they had 12 points and I can act like I know a lot about them, even though I didn't know a lot about them. I mean, I didn't watch the game, um, but we can, we can, show genuine interest in them by just taking five minutes in the morning, looking through the newspaper, checking out, talking to some, maybe other uh, kids on the team. So when they walk in your classroom and you see them in the hall, geez, you can say, you got a hat trick last night. That's unbelievable. Tell me about that. Um, or they, or, or maybe they didn't do something special, but their team did something special. So let's talk about the success of the team and not the success of the individual. How awesome was that? You guys just knocked off St. Cloud tech. Geez, they were 10 and one. Oh, it must've been great. So sports is, I think, um, I don't even know if I put a percentage on it, what 90%, but there are some that, you know, and, and we want, that's why we encourage kids, I think, to be involved. I don't care what it is, get involved. Uh, we just had a, a really successful one act play. They tied for second. They thought they didn't get to advance, but then they found out on criteria that they did get to advance. You know what? Going out of my way to find those kids in the hallway yeah. and congratulate them. That's a big deal. And making notice, uh, mention of it at the school board meeting. You know, we, we need to recognize all school activities, not just athletics. And uh, find out what makes kids tick. For sure. You know, you talked a little bit earlier. You said you need time with people. You need time to invest in the kids and with the, the people. And, and I was just thinking, you had three very unique uh, programs you coached. Uh, you were at Norman County East first, correct? You know, Gary, Gary Bulldogs became Norman County. East, okay. So All right. I had the so, Bulldogs for two years. Then we became the Eagles, the Twin Valley okay. Tigers. Yep. Norman County. Yeah. East. So you were there and, and for a while and within two years of leaving, they won the state championship. And then you came to Pelican who had just lost a hall of fame coach who had been there for 30 years. And this is like very basketball rabid community. And I, I know we've had conversations about that was a hard transition, but eventually you, you know, kind of became part of the community. And then you moved on to Fergus and that was a whole different deal because it's a bigger community and they were established program and you had some talent when you got there, but how, how did, you know, you said you need time. How was building community in those situations? How was getting yourself to be a part of what was going on there and not feeling like the outsider and, and, getting investment from not just the kids. Cause I think getting kids invested in what you're doing is the easiest part. Cause you're with them all the time. How do you get that investment from everybody else? Yeah. I think it starts with youth. I mean, I think you got to commit yourself not to your varsity players, 
you know, I look at that team at Norman County East that won the state. I had started three freshmen three years in a row. The current head coach at uh, Pelican, Johnny Gullingsrud, his dad was my assistant, Norm. I coached his older brother. Started John as a freshman, sophomore, great year. And then we left. Um, and I had started Kyle Olson and John Petrick were another two names. And yeah, I knew I was leading a great team. And I remember asking my high school coach, Tom Critchley Sr., I said, you know, I had this opportunity to go to Pelican and he said, and I said, I got a really nice team coming back. He said, you never stay for a team. There's always going to be a team somewhere. And so for my family, it was a good decision to move on to, to Pelican Rapids, a bigger community. So I was in a 1A school, now a 2A school, um, ended up in a 3A school, um, bigger community. And, but, but youth and getting, and when you talk about youth, it's usually parents, right? It's parents that are coaching these kids. And you can, you, you'll know when you're going to have a successful group because you've got great parent leaders. Um, they're not out there trying to get, win every medal there is. They're trying to develop talent, to develop fundamentals and skills. And yeah, we might lose a couple of tournaments, big deal. And if you're trying to play zone in fifth grade so you can win a, a medal, you know, and we ran a lot of tournaments, JP, you helped me run the Viking shootout for years. And, you know, I got toasted one time by a mom out of West Fargo that the medals weren't big enough. Yeah. I'm like, the trophy wasn't big enough. I'm like, this is fourth grade. Like, oh, I'm sorry. We don't do trophies. We give a little medal, um, you know, and unfortunately they are out there and, you know, they're not always going to be successful when they're down the road. And, but I think I have to give credit to a lot of parents in that, but as a coach, you have to invest the time in the youth developing that program. And um, again, teaching skills and fundamentals, not teaching kids to be robots um, because we never know. You don't know the kids is going to be six, seven. You don't know the kids that's going to be five, seven. And sometimes those kids quit growing. Right. And some kids, they, they keep growing and find the weight room. And um, so I, I just think, you know, putting in that time um, I'm a big fan of coach Meyer. I had a chance to get out and work with his camps in Northern at Northern state. And he had talked to me um, and he went through a lot of adversity. We don't have probably time to dig into that, but, taught me so much. And one thing when we're driving around and he's giving me philosophy of life is, you know, he says, Brad, you got three rebuilds in your career. And cause it takes a lot of energy to rebuild programs. Um, cause it's time it's exhausting. Um, and I kind of believe that. And I think sometimes you have a rebuild when you move to a place, sometimes you win a state championship and then you have a rebuild, like you, you got to change some things and you got to, you know, and, I've had success playing younger kids. Um, I had some pretty good advice from Dave Galovich and Lynn Peterson when I was a young coach. Galley's still coaching at Crosby Ironton, and Lynn had all the kinds of success at Staples Motley. And, you know, they a lot of times played a young kid. And uh, when you can start a freshman, like we did at Norman County East, you get a couple freshmen in there. Man, when they're seniors, they're pretty, pretty tough. And those are the kids that I can sometimes be a little tougher on at also because you've been in my program. You know what the expectations are at the highest level. When they're freshmen, we treat them a little different. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, like that 09 group, I did move up Ty and Eric Schulstead as young kids. And so they got a chance to play up. And then I, the other 10 kids, well, there are a couple others moved up. But Matt Hogan's a kid that we didn't move up. And he had a huge role for us as a junior senior. So I think you got to be careful on who you move and when you move. And are they ready mentally? Can they handle that? Um, and also, what does it do to the rest of the group? You know, does it allow them to grow or does it allow them to say, oh, we can't win anything? And then they end up quitting. So I think every situation is unique, but rebuilds take energy. And as a coach, uh, you have to be all in. And, and because if you're not, you'll never get your players. In, and, and then hopefully the parents buy into what you're doing, that you're all in and that you're, 
and, and you do things outside of the game too, whatever the game is, our game is basketball. Well, you know what? Maybe we're bowling. Um, maybe we're a day at the lake. And uh, that was something that we always tried to do. And maybe it's just coming to my house and my wife made barbecues and we watched Duke play Carolina, you know, on, or the ACC big 10 challenge night. We always seem to uh, set goals on one of those nights. Um, I just think opening up your house being, letting them see, you know, and then I had kids and then letting them see that I'm a dad too. I, I think um, they see you as a whole person and not just as a coach, just like we want to see them as a whole person and not just a point guard or just a shooting guard. You know, we, we want, it's a whole person. I think there's something really interesting in that, that you're saying there's so much tension in coaching right now around the kind of fraught tension with the parent coach relationship and the expectations. I mean, you said it, metal's not big enough, right? That, that, that sort of thinking gets into probably every program right now in some way, shape or form. We have to, but when you allow them to see you as a whole person, when you aren't obsessed with the outcome, when you aren't driven by that thing, you have to let the parents in and see that also. You can't, it can't just be for the kids. The kids can't see you one way and think of you in one way and their parents not understand that sort of concept of you that they have, even though you now open yourself up to some potentially challenging moments, right? Because if you're going to open yourself up, you're also opening yourself up to failure, right? To If you're going to be real with people, you're probably going to stumble every now and again. For young coaches out there that are maybe, maybe 24, 25 years old, first opportunity as a head coach, how do you give them the right sort of balance? How do you, what advice would you have for them to say, you need those relationships with parents and you need to be real with them, but maybe watch these things. I, you know, I, I don't know what the question is exactly, but. Uh, well, I remember those two of my mentors and I think getting a mentor is very sure. important for young coaches. Yeah. Um, have, having somebody, and I think in conference, you know, we all look like we're, we hate each other, right? When we're playing a game, I, I might be a little strong, but you know, Dave Cressup and I, and we're playing Perm, we might look like we really don't like each other. Wendy Kohler at Alexandria. But you know what? Off the court, we like each other. We're, we're friends. We, we text, we call each other. We, we email each other. Um, I think young coaches finding a mentor is very important. Um, and I remember my mentor saying, you know what, we can do things a little bit different than you because we have 400 wins and you, you, you know, your second year in third year in um, you got to be a little bit more approachable maybe than what an older coach is, or I'm just going to say, this is the way it is. And if you can get through that stretch, coaching does become a little bit more enjoyable when you don't always have to be so approachable, right? Um, I, I'm going to be approachable, but I'd, I'd tell flat out, tell my parents, we're not going to talk about playing time and we're not going to talk about X's and O's, but I'll talk to you about a lot, of, a lot of other things. Well, oftentimes when a parent is disgruntled, there's not a lot of other things to talk about. Yeah. Um, but, but those are my, those are non-negotiables. We're not talking. I'm not, you're not going to help me dictate, you know, what you, you want to talk to that person's parents and say, I don't think they should play as much. No. And um, I, I, and that's a tricky thing. And, you know, you hope your parents like each other too. Right. And you're, you know, the, and the kids like each other, because if there's animosity there, but I think if you're not authentic with kids, they'll see right through you and you got to be real. You, you can't try to be a fake person with kids. Um, they're really great judges of character. Um, so just be, be authentic, be real with them and let them know um, who you are and admit when you make mistakes, 
I mean, geez, I've made mistakes. And if I don't own them, I mean, even as an official, you can't always admit it because then you don't, you'll, you'll lose credibility, but you'll gain a whole lot when we make a mistake. Have I made mistakes coaching? Um, have I made mistakes as a parent, as a dad? And I would yeah, you get mad. It's like, man, I, I handled that very poorly. And you know what, going back, whether it's the next day or an hour later and say, yeah, I really screwed up. I I'm sorry. I apologize. And I'm going to try to get better too. And moving forward. I think that's really, really important in, in those relationships. One, one more thing I wanted to talk to you about, Brad, that everybody I talked to mentioned that you had a way of making really hard work fun. <laughs> um, and, and partly, I think, like I've talked to Jamie about one of the main ways that you and I are the same is we don't ever run in practice just to run. Um, and like playing basketball for you, I can't ever remember getting on the line at the end of practice and running. Like everything was included and your practices were planned out in a way that we were, we didn't need to run. And then we were super fit. Like we were typically one of the more fit teams, partly because we had to be because of the style that you wanted us to play. But tell, I think there's so many coaches that just think, because of whatever program they came through, hey, we need to run for the sake of it. And kids don't like running unless they're cross-country runners. Right. Um, Some of them don't like it. Let's be real. Yeah. Some cross-country runners aren't like yeah. real excited about going out so, and pounding the pavement either. You were intentional about that. And, and we keep hearing this word intentionality and, and what we're doing and how we're planning. But why was that kind of built in? And how did you go about making how did you get us so fit i guess you you tell well, us the story well you know I, I, you have intentional right like the game should be fun basketball is a fun game and let let's make sure it's fun and i don't know running isn't always fun it wasn't for me anyway um so let's run and we don't even know how many times we don't realize how many trips we've made up and down because we're, we got a ball in our hands um and i'm also John, you would know I'm a big believer and we don't do a lot of five on five. When I say right. run, we're not doing a lot of five on five because right. five on five, there's only one basketball. So you got 10 guys run up and down and how many times you get to touch a ball? Um, we can work on the five on five at the end. And usually it's half court. It's not always full court. And if we do go full or it's five on zero, um, but we do a lot of two on one, three on two, three on three. Um, three on two with a chaser or defense coming in. And we don't even realize how many times we run up and down because um, we get some easy baskets. We've got a couple of really fun games that we've played and have been popular. Um, one of them is called blitz. One of them is called cover. I don't care if it's boys, girls, I don't care if it's eighth grade or seniors, they love it. And, and they don't realize how many times they do get to touch the ball and, and it's competitive. You know, we like to have competition because I think kids work a little bit harder if they're running and there's a, there's a score being kept. Um, or we're doing something together where our team is trying to accomplish a goal. We call it Bethel. How many, how many times can we put the ball in the basket in three minutes? And you don't really realize how much you just ran in those three minutes. Um, so to run really reserved for really individual discipline situations and tried not to, I can think of one when you were playing for me, I made everybody run, but one player. Yeah. I don't know if that was the wisest thing I ever did as a coach, No, but it got the effective uh, but results. It did, uh, when I saw, when you see a 17 year old boy crying because he's seeing his teammates run, I, I it probably did solve the problem. Who was who the one not running the run, the one that committed the mistake. Yeah. The one that committed the mistake, <laughs> uh, being late for practice, girlfriend, 
whatever. Yeah. And I put everybody else on the line and, you know, I, I can't say that I've really used that strategy, but you know, we grow and, and, you know, Kazen, right. How do I get better? 1% debtor every single day, constant and daily improvement. Um, and, and I also think, you know, I, I, JP, how do I not tell this story um, as far as teams and all of a sudden what they accomplish and I, JP is senior night. JP senior night. You remember that night, John? Yeah. I can remember it like yesterday. We're playing Len Peterson. We're playing Staples Motley. They're probably 20 and two, uh, probably ranked top three in the state. Yeah. They were third, third in state. And, um, we were average. We worked pretty hard. Um, 500 ish. I don't even know. Yeah, it was your, it was your first winning season in Pelican and we were like 14 and 10, maybe. So yep. not, not great, but but I started seniors and at that year I wasn't starting all seniors um, and, and getting kids to buy into roles is a whole nother topic. We could talk, uh, we could talk at depth about too, because you have to get them, you have to empower the kids. Right. Yeah. And then they have to accept that. And then they have to um, go out and perform whatever their role is. Maybe that role is being the best passer in practice. Maybe that best role is being a vocal leader. Um, but anyway, I did start seniors. I changed my starting lineup, Kansas. A lot of programs will do start, and we had an unbelievable start to that game between JP, um, a young man named Brent Magnuson, came out and just made some unbelievable plays against a team that we had no business playing with. And all of a sudden, we're ahead nine to two. And, and we ended up winning the game. And um, moments like that stick with a coach like uh, crazy. And I, and I think they stick with players, too, yeah. because kids really remember how they felt, uh, how you make them feel. And games like that, I don't know, they're just special. There's just certain ones in your head that you can pull out. I can't tell you the score. I can't tell you that, but I can tell you the start of that game and how jacked some of these players were and the plays they made um, playing on adrenaline, maybe, and, and made plays that they hadn't made. If they made those plays all the time, they would have been in the starting lineup. Well, and you talk, you talk about empowerment coach and part of the empowerment for me that I've never forgotten is, is, like you said, you hadn't started seniors in the past. Mm -hmm. And I, I can remember where I was standing when I came to you and said, you should start us, mm -hmm. even though we haven't started all year. Cause it's the last one we got and it's the right thing. And like how many coaches hear questions like that from their players and they don't, you know, they blow it off or they blow brush it off. it off, you know? Yeah. And, and that night, you like stopped and looked at me and you're like, no, we should do that. Like no hesitation. And that has allowed me to be confident in a lot of other settings, you know, knowing like, Oh, I have this idea, you know, maybe I should go and ask whoever's in authority and I'm not scared about it because, and I think it's a singular moment, probably, you know, not the biggest deal in my life, but it has allowed me to have confidence in other situations. And, so often as coaches, we hear our players come to us and we think, you know, we're more like, oh, your frontal cortex isn't fully formed. I'm not going <laughs> to listen to you, you know? And so that, yeah, empowerment is the right word because it, it left me and it left, especially Brent too. We talked, we had our 20 year reunion a few months ago and it came up not because we're trying to relive glory, but it was just such a unique night. And uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I say it all the time. Go ahead. Go coach. ahead. I'll say if we could put in, I've used Brent or you as an example and some other players maybe that have more God-given ability. If I could pour that into, if I could take the work ethic 
of other kids that maybe don't have quite as much ability, maybe aren't quite as tall, you know, aren't six, three and long. And uh, you'd have a division one player and, you know, but sometimes people that are, have more of those gifts don't always put in as much effort because they don't have to, they seem to have things just given to them. But um, I was never a great player. So do I have a special place in my heart for that kid? That's number six, seven, and eight. Absolutely. I have a special place in my heart for them because I know what it's like to be that number eight and coaches playing seven. And I'm like, Oh, you know, if that one, if he gets one more fall, I might get a chance. Um, but I also know as a coach in tight games, yeah, my rotation and JP, you know, my rotation, I might be at 10 and then I'm at eight and then I'm at seven and I might be at six because we want to have media timeouts. I don't have to go as deep. Um, so I, but I truly understand and have empathy sometimes for that kid that does everything right. They're great in the classroom. They don't ever make mistakes. They're at practice on time, early every day, stay late, get some shots up. Um, so when we can reward that, how can we reward that as a coach? I think that's really important. What a powerful thing, right? To be able to say, like have empathy for those kids, try and stand where they've, where they're standing. Right. Because, and I, I, that's part of why sometimes great players don't make great coaches, right? Because they can't understand, they can't connect with all 12 on their bench, right? They can't connect with all 25 guys on the team or, you know, I coached football for a long time. Like we had 97 when I was coaching at Bethel, like you got to be able to connect with all those kids and bring them all in. Otherwise we start to get little fractions and just pieces that kind of pull apart from the whole and, we all know the best we're ever going to be is when it's a hundred percent going in the same direction, right? We, we don't get the results we want, the outcomes we want, the special moments, the special memories, that empowered feeling. If it's 97%, right? Like if it's yeah. 60%, it's just going to feel less than because it is. And when everybody's pouring something in, we got a chance that, that is pretty special. And, uh, I think that's what, you know, what the question comes from is like, how do we build community? How do we, how do we empower our in assistance so that then our kids feel empowered? I just think the whole conversation here comes down to, to that idea that you just said, can we empathize with every kid on the team in their specific context? Not easy, but incredibly necessary. I had a coach that I respect a lot tell me uh, there's no way coaches don't carry 12 seniors. It's a crazy thing. You can't carry 12 seniors. We all know that seniors that don't play, not happy. Parents aren't happy. Well, we proved them wrong. Um, but we, we had buy-in and you know, that was bigger. There were, there's, there's thoughts for the day, right? There's, there's the mental training, not only the physical training. We want to run. Yeah. We like to run a lot. We want to be in shape. We want to have fun when we're running. Um, but, I will say that practice team was better than a lot of other teams in the area because they were always going against a lot of very good players, but so it did work. And, uh, and, and oh, I'll tell you, Chuck Galsvig, Moorhead Spuds, great coach. We had a conversation after he said, you pulled it off. I, usually that doesn't work. Um, but, but it takes effort. It takes effort on your top players part. It takes effort on your lowest players part. It takes effort on the coach, assistant coaches, parents, um, and I'll, the one, uh, one other comment I will make, if your best player isn't your hardest worker in practice, you're going to be in trouble. Your best player better be your hardest worker. And sometimes, uh, you know, I've, we've all coached times where they aren't your hardest working player, but when they are, um, I think that raises the level of everybody in practice. Absolutely. 
Well, Coach Brad Strand, what an amazing thing you've done, given us just pearls of wisdom to take from us. It's such a cool opportunity for me. You know, I've had my head football coach was on the podcast. John uh, Shirky, normal guest, his head basketball coach was on the podcast to see just the relationship that you and JP have and to, to have all that common language and that common experience, it shapes us. And that's really the gift of coaching is that we shape and are shaped by our athletes and our peers and, and the experiences that we go through together. And so I just want to thank you for coming on and, and joining us and, and giving us the good use today. Yeah. Thanks. I just, I use a different word, but I just, that comment just came up how much I'm in, how much I, how much I have a chance to impact either it's kids in the classroom or players, but also it's a flip side, how much the youth has a chance to impact me in my role. Absolutely. It's huge. Shape them, impact them, love them up, believe in them, get the best out of them. And I said this potential. to you, I said this to you the other day, JP and I become garden friends, right? Grow together can we grow together? And I, I just love that idea. And, and that's what we're here and we're, we're trying to promote. So thanks for what you do and, and good luck as you go forward. And you guys are here in the garden, bloom where you're planted. Absolutely. Thanks coach. All right. Thank you. JP, what a cool opportunity to talk to Brad. Uh, I think it's awesome. Like I said, kind of at the end there to get to connect and to be here while you connect with somebody that had a role in your life. What would, what were some of the things that you heard and were like that somebody else needs to hear again? Yeah. The, the first thing was just the idea that, that he said somewhere towards the end there that every coach needs a mentor. Um, and I, I think sometimes we try to do this so much on our own. And sometimes we think we have to also like hate everybody around us that we're going against. Um, and I, you know, for me with soccer, I just, Rick Toward from Bemidji, who's been our biggest rival the last few years, he's also probably like the most important person for bringing me along and just being able to call him and ask questions. And like every coach needs to have that person. They need to have somebody they can reach out to that's doing the same type of thing that can help guide them through or talk them through things. And um, a lot of times those coaches are close. Um, when I was coaching cross country, um, Jeff Morris and I were super I, he, he wasn't a mentor but he and i were super close and we talked all the time weekly sometimes more often than that on the phone about what was going on and so you need to have those people around you who are doing the same thing um mainly so that your your spouse doesn't end up taking the brunt of the conversation um if you want to you know keep that going in the right direction let's be real right when we are in season and leading up to the season. And then there's a period postseason where it just is all consuming. Right. And as a leader, let's take it outside of sport, right. As a leader, when you are challenged with a task, it becomes a huge part of your mental energy and somebody else is going to share it, you know, in with purpose and intent or without, right. If your spouse is going to share it, if you don't have that person that you intentionally connect with, to, to give some of that away to, and then to help ease the burden, right? Because, you know, I, I go on a walk and you're thinking about it, get in the shower and you're thinking about it, you know, like any free time you have, that thing comes to mind and then there's solutions and you want to throw them against the wall and see what sticks. Well, who better than somebody that's already done it, that has the capacity to say, well, I tried that, didn't work for me. This is what I would do differently. Give it a shot. 
you know, like that's, that's an amazing opportunity that we don't take. And John and I say this all the time on the pod, like get a coach, <laughs> be coached, you know, and, and that's all mentors are. And, and I think we want it to be really formal. Sometimes you say that Jeff wasn't a mentor to you. It was more of a peer relationship. Cool. Like I had a coach in college tell me this all the time, be coached, be a mentor or like be mentored, have peer to peer relationships where you get to chat about that thing and then mentor down, right. Coach down also, like, then you get that whole understanding of the process in a completely different way. I, yeah, it, that lands in a big way for me because I wouldn't be who I am unless I had amazing people at every stage pouring into me. So, um, what else did, what else landed for you in a big way? You know, the other thing that I, he just kept repeating it throughout is just the, the need for time. Yeah. If you're chasing success within your program, uh, as a varsity coach, you need time. Um, if you're trying to build community, if you're trying to build culture into your program, you need time, those things. And, you know, he talked about, you got to put time into the youth, um, in the right way. And he was real specific about the right way to do it. But so many times there are questions either, uh, you know, within the classroom when we're doing things or especially in our community in Pelican where we're so diverse and people want to know, how are we going to bridge all these gaps? And I said, you got 20 years, you know, it's going to take 20 years for this to like, it's generational. And sometimes as a coach, it's not generational, but like a rebuild, you know, he talked a lot about rebuilds and like, it's going to take you a while and you got to be willing to put the time in. Um, and the, the programs that are successful do that, you know, we can, we can see um, that he was able to do that in Pelican. Uh, he kind of went through three cycles here. Um, one of them was obviously a huge when he first got here. Um, and then he did kind of a rebuild at the end here in Fergus and um, it takes time. You know, <laughs> it just takes a long time and coaches need to understand that well, and that it's and, not, it's not quick and play the long game. Right. Don't like invest in the youth. Yes. Don't let your seniors die on the vine because you're invested in the youth. Like those seniors someday might be coaches in your program. They might be, they might five years down the road be, be people that you're leaning on for financial support for, you know, moral support for whatever it might be. If you get them to buy in too, right. Play the long game at every level of the process. Don't, you know, like it's hard sometimes, but when you're, when your people know you care about them and you build community through that, that longer lens, you now have the chance to say, you may not have had the giant role that you wanted on the floor for us or on the field for us, but look what role you can have now because you still love the program, because you're still invested in the program. Don't lose those people because ah, they aren't, they aren't going to really contribute to us anyway. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and, and having the mantra of like, this takes time is going to change so much <laughs> of what you do. It's going to, it's seriously going to change how you talk to your athletes because you know, you're going to realize that like, I, I can't lose this kid in the first year. Cause I, talk to them a certain way i've got to figure out how to teach them through this uh and it, and it just affects so much of your thinking and your behavior if you can get that paradigm going in your in your coaching life well and and what what a way to think about ending this podcast right your thinking 
your mindset, your thoughts about something shape the way you act in the world about it and around it. And if, and if you can't bring that to bear, right, maybe that's this thing that we're talking about, leadership, coaching, growing other people. Maybe you need to go and grow a little bit first before you have that opportunity, right? Because we have to shape that perspective and we have to bring the right perspective, the right lens to the process, and then it will shape who we are and who we're becoming out in the world. I know this is a little bit weird episode. John is usually the one taking us out. I want to thank you guys all for listening, for joining us. Check out the website, our Twitter, our Instagram, all that good stuff. Thank you for all you guys do. And as always, live eyes up.